The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Listeners, welcome back. Or if you're a first-time listener, welcome full stop. This is the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. As always, it's my pleasure to share with you my conversations with key people either in the EcoRight or working with or adjacent to the EcoRight. Today, I bring you my chat with Yoram Bowman, an economist, actually a stand-up economist, working on this idea called a carbon tax swap. This is my favorite part of his bio, which I will link in the show notes. It says that his life goal is to spread joy to the world through economics comedy, yes, that is a thing, to contribute to education reform through cartoon books about economics and more, and to implement carbon pricing, preferably through a, wait for it, revenue neutral tax shift involving lower taxes on things we like, working, saving, investing, and higher taxes on things we don't like, carbon pollution. He's got a PhD in economics, so clearly he's smart. He's also funny, as you're about to hear. And as he works through these life goals, he's got his work cut out for him, for sure. But first, as we find our footing in 2021, I asked my colleagues to share one word that describes their feeling on climate change this year. I picked the word hopeful. I'm so hopeful that an evenly divided government can look at the not evenly divided polling. It's true. More than two thirds of Americans believe the government should address climate change. And I'd like to see action in a way that is durable and bipartisan. Here's Bob and his word. Healing. Healing of the divisions that have plagued this country. And now Wen Lee. My one word for 2021 is anticipation, because I've been waiting so long for the pandemic to end and for our life to go back to normal, and it's on the horizon, so um, I just can't wait. (laughs) And uh, along with uh, the pandemic being over, it means we can get back to work on climate action, and uh, I'm anticipating that as well. And our esteemed producer, Price Atkinson. My word would be excitement because how can 2021 be what 2020 just was? And also the way science has delivered a vaccine, the fact that we can now start to see the light at the end of the tunnel of this long ongoing pandemic, which obviously is going to linger for a little while longer, uh, but also as it relates to climate, the way the November elections played out, I feel like we have a really ripe an incredible opportunity now for Republicans to now come to the table. And now, back to the show. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now, back to this week's episode. All right, listeners, welcome back. As promised, I'm here with our favorite funny economist, Yoram Bauman. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So I'm going to just say that the first time I 
my that your name crossed my eyes was when you were working on the carbon tax initiative in Washington state. And I connected to it for two reasons. One, obviously, it was Carbon Tax Initiative, and that's what we like at RepublicEN.org. But also, my brother lives in Seattle. So I was like, oh, I need to tell him to vote for that. Um, was that your first kind of foray into the carbon pricing world? Yeah, pretty much. So that was in 2016, where we had a grassroots group that got a revenue-neutral carbon tax on the ballot. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't quite win, but we learned a lot. So what made you take the approach of having it be a ballot initiative instead of trying to work legislation through the legislature? I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to legislative action by any means. If you can make it happen that way, then great. Kind of like if you can make federal action happen, then it's much easier than trying to do stuff in all 50 states. Um, but uh, it's slow going, right? right. So um, we kind of talked about things in the legislature and, and this percolated for many years. And then eventually uh, there was a group of us that just said, forget it. You know, um, it's amazing that in uh, like half of the U.S. states, if you can just write your own policy and then get a bunch of signatures from voters and put your measure on the ballot, like that's an amazing, um, it just blows my mind every time I think about it. So uh, that's what we tried to do. And that's what we succeeded in doing. And um, that's how we did the ballot measure. So you got on the ballot and then you ended up losing. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm naive. I feel like if we had a national vote and maybe not on a pure carbon tax, but on, on some sort of dividend where, where it was very clear to people that there was going to be some financial benefit back to them, that it would pass. I mean, I hope it would pass. I hope so too. Uh, <laughs> you don't have thoughts though on whether or not it would. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I believe in taking a swing at the ball. So yeah. I feel blessed to have an opportunity to work on these issues that are uh, important to all of us. Um, you know, there are a whole bunch of folks out there in the world and this country who have to focus on, you know, putting food on the table every day. And right. I feel like it's a luxury and a blessing to be able to work on important issues. Um, and so I believe in taking a swing at the ball. Uh, do I think there's a strong chance of hitting a home run? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, every, everything is hard. Climate action is hard. Carbon pricing is hard. Um, there's so much like misinformation that's out there. Like, even if you, like our proposal in Washington state was let's have a carbon tax and let's cut the state sales tax. Mm -hmm. But people would tell us they wouldn't, they didn't believe that we were going to cut the state sales tax. Like, even though it was in the legislation, right? Like there, if, and so if people are at that level of sort of cynicism and skepticism, then it's kind of hard to, hard to do much. And then we ended up, our, our proposal ended up getting opposition from a bunch of folks on the left side of the political spectrum as well. So the, you know, the Sierra Club came out against us and Governor Jay Inslee came out against us. Wow. Oh. Uh, so um, I like to say that we ended up with 41% of the vote, which was pretty good given that we were opposed by just about everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's yeah. a good point. And, and to, to go back to what you said about people not trusting government, you know, it makes me really sad as somebody that used to work for government and who, you know, do I think that the government can solve all my problems? No, but I know so many people that work in government and, and they're public servants, right? And they truly embrace that, the meaning of that, right? They're working for the public. They're servants of the public. They are trying to do good things for people. And so it does make me sad that 
that were so cynical today that they would think that you were actually going to pull the rug out from under them. And, and, but, you know, we've always known that to get any sort of climate legislation through, whether it's at the state level or at the national level, it, it takes me, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It takes a lot of time, unfortunately, but we don't have that much more time to be doing not our most aggressive work. Um, but I just wanted to go back for a second and ask why carbon pricing as an economist, what to you makes carbon pricing the appealing way to go about reducing carbon emissions? Uh, it was beaten into me in economics graduate school. Uh, but no, I mean, it's the idea that, well, two things. One is that if you're looking for something that's going to provide an incentive for everybody, households, businesses, utilities, uh, to reduce emissions, like having a price signal is an incredibly powerful way to do that. So uh, that piece of it I, was very attractive to me. And then the other part of it was that uh, when I was in college, I went to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, and uh, took an environmental economics class and came across this idea of environmental tax reform, higher taxes on bad things that we want less of, lower taxes on good things that we want more of. And it just, um, it struck me as being an intellectually beautiful idea that might actually like make sense in the real world. And so uh, I, after spending some time after college trying to figure out what to do with my life, I kind of decided to spend a good chunk of my life trying to make this idea happen, right? And, and the basic idea goes back to Pagu in actually a, 101 years ago, like 1920, he wrote this book, Economics of Welfare, where he talked about environmental taxes, sometimes called Pagovian taxes in his honor, right? But it's been hard to get them through the political process. And so the things that I've been involved in and continue to be involved in, mostly state level action on, uh, on, on climate change and carbon pricing has been motivated by this desire to actually try to bring this out of the textbook and into the real world. Well, you know, that's something that Bob Inglis, our executive director, says all the time is that, you know, we want to tax the behaviors that we don't want to see, right? So and we don't want more pollution. We tax it. We make it let, you know, we take away the incentive, which right now that people have all the incentive, right? Because they're dumping their carbon pollution in the atmosphere for free. And, you know, that's the, the other thing that Bob talks about is that it is really, it's a subsidy, the ability to pollute carbon is a subsidy. Yeah, that's true. And um, it's, a it's, it's a market failure, right? And we can correct market failures with, uh, with market incentives, right? Like the, the carbon tax itself is sort of, I sometimes describe it as a surrogate for a missing market instrument, right? Like in, a, in an ideal world, there would be a price on carbon because carbon causes... Uh, imposes costs on society, right? Carbon emissions impose costs on society. And so in a perfect world, um, there would be a price on carbon in the same way that there's a price on anything you buy at the store or labor or anything like that, right? And so a carbon price is trying to create this surrogate for this missing market instrument. So 2016, you had your ballot initiative in Washington. You got 41%. Um, did you keep working in the state or did you move your sites elsewhere? Uh, we ended up, our family ended up moving to Utah the next year. Okay. That um, would make your sites a little different. <laughs> a little different. Uh, mostly we moved because my wife's family is here and we wanted to be closer to them. But it was, I mean, running a ballot measure is, uh, especially grassroots ballot measure, it was a ton of work. I mean, it was a dream come true. It was a nightmare. It was kind of all of the above, <laughs> right? And so a change of scenery was, was, was good for me. 
Um, and then it turns out that, that you know, there are, one thing that's cool about working at state level action is that there are 50 states, right? So there's always some, something that you can think about in one of the, one of the laboratories of democracy. And uh, Utah, we love being here. The one concern we have, the one uh, thing that I'd flag is that there's pretty bad local air pollution. Uh, along the in the Salt Lake City area, along the Wasatch. Right, what is that called? There's a name for it, right? Like the mountains hold the pollution in inversion. Inversion. Yeah, so there's an inversion here, so we get bad air quality in the winter time, and then lately we've been having some pretty bad air quality in the summer, just from, from the fires all over. Uh, and so uh, here in Utah, I started up a, a campaign with a couple other folks called Clean the Darn Air. That was an attempt to get a clean air and climate measure on the ballot in Utah in 2020. We didn't hit our signature target, so we're sort of licking our wounds and we'll try again in a, a year or two. Uh, but the basic idea was, look, let's have a modest carbon tax. Okay. Let's you put um, uh, most of that money into reducing existing taxes, like eliminating the state sales tax on grocery store food. Right? So we're going to tax pollution instead of taxing potatoes. And then uh, let's put the money that's left over into cleaning the darn air. I love that. And, and I, you know, I'm surprised you didn't get your signatures because from all I hear and read about Utah, I feel like it's pretty progressive in terms of how people look at at least clean air. Um, I, at least, again, that's my impression. I haven't I'm been to Utah in a number of years. <laughs> you know we're getting your information about Utah, but uh, there's, there's challenges here. Yeah, for sure. Well, there are challenges anywhere. You definitely didn't pick an easy state, but, you know, if you're just looking at a state from its politics, one would assume that Washington state would be a little more blue and that would mean a little more inclined to want to do something on climate change. If you're just sort of going with the binary Democrats are for action and Republicans aren't, which is definitely not exactly where we are today. There are more nuances. Obviously, we are a group that has a whole community of right-leaning people who support climate action. But then you think of a state like Utah, where, you know, a little bit more Republican dominated. But I don't know, you had the governor who he took out the bad language, right, that was an underlying the state statute about EPA being bad and carbon was our climate change wasn't real. I feel like that happened a few years ago. He was responsive to a bunch of high school students that wrote to him and and wanted to see that language eliminated. And it feels like Utah is a youthful state. So I bet you get it on the next round if you're going to keep pursuing. We're going to keep trying. So this tax swap idea is essentially what we're looking at, but on the national level, right? And I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. And I know you've, you've given a couple different examples, and I feel like the more examples we give, the more it's going to sink in. A tax swap, it doesn't cost people, it might feel like it's costing you something, but it's really not. Why? Well, so the idea that I've been working on lately is specifically to the electricity sector. Right? And it turns out that there are a bunch of states, like 20 states around the country, that have existing taxes on electricity, but they're not carbon taxes. Right? They're sales taxes or gross receipts taxes. So uh, like in Georgia, there's a 4% state sales tax on electricity. In New Mexico, there's a little more than a 5% tax on electricity. Arizona, uh, Nebraska, South Dakota, Florida, um, those states have taxes on electricity, 
but they're like, uh, they're sales taxes or gross receipts taxes. And so the idea I've been working on is what if we got rid of those sales taxes or gross receipts taxes on electricity and replaced them with kind of a, with a revenue equivalent carbon tax. So with a carbon tax that at first raised the same amount of revenue. So initially your bill might not change at all, right? It's just that instead of a line on it that says sales tax, you would have a line on it that says carbon tax, but the amount would be the same. But the utilities now that are serving you electricity, the utilities would have this financial incentive to move in the direction of renewables and lower carbon energy sources. And over time, that incentive that they wouldn't have with the sales tax, right? Like the sales tax gets charged no matter what, but with the carbon tax, they have that incentive. And over time, as they move in the direction of renewables, that tax would come down, which is uh, good for taxpayers, right? They pay lower taxes. It's doubly good for climate action because you're cleaning up the electricity sector. And by making electricity less expensive, you're also making it easier to electrify other segments of the economy, like transportation, for example, right? You're making electric cars more attractive. So if the, so just trying to get my head around this. So the, the line item sales tax line, and I live in Maryland. I don't know if I have, um, that or not. I'm going to have to go look at my utility bill. I never look at those fees or anything, right? I just look at the final amount due and I set it up in my bank account. Um, I guess I need to be paying better attention. Um, that is revenue that goes to the state, right? The sales tax. So then the carbon tax, would the carbon tax fees also go to the state or would they go back to be reinvested into clean technology? Nope. So the carbon tax money would go to backfill the lost revenue from the sales tax. Okay. So you want this to be, um, to be as, as, as close to, to, to neutral in terms of impacts on individual customers, as well as on the, the state government. So if somebody wanted to know whether their state was one of these 20 or so states, how would they find that information? Um, they, the Google. <laughs> Uh, they should probably send me an email. It would be the easiest way. To do it. <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm working on. Um, uh, they they might be able to. to yeah, they should, I'm 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 at the beginning stages of this process. Uh, but what I can do is I can just I can read you a list of states if you'd like. <laughs> That's uh, okay. You know what? I'll get a list of states from you and I'll put it in the show notes so people can look it up in the show notes. And I will definitely, if anyone writes to me wanting to know more, I will send them your way. Um, one other thing I just wanted to hit on before we let you go and, and thank you for taking what I, you know, I think sometimes people hear words like carbon tax, or you start talking about the border adjustable revenue, neutral carbon tax, which we talk about all the time. And it just sounds so complicated, but your examples for how a tax swap would work are just so easy to understand. And, and that's essentially the same thing we want at Republic E and we would just, the offset would come from some sort of federal income tax. So maybe it would be the payroll tax or, so you're not going to, you know, there's, it's a swap, it's an even swap. Um, but what I wanted to get to was that you call yourself the only stand-up economist. So I will admit before we got on this call, I looked at some of your, um, comedic act online and it's so funny you make economics so funny <laughs> can you tell us an, an an economic joke i'll tell you the first joke i ever told on stage which was that when i told my father that i was going to be a stand-up economist he said you're on me he said you can't be a stand-up economist and i said why not and he said because there's no demand <laughs> 
I said, don't, I said, don't worry, dad. I'm a supply side economist. <laughs> I just stand up and let the jokes trickle down. I love it. I love it. And so if you want to see more, if people want to hear more, see more of your act, where can they find it? Uh, there's a bunch of comedy videos at my website, which is standupeconomist.com. Believe it or not, this is actually how I make a living. Uh, most That's not a punchline, but thank you very much. <laughs> Mostly I do colleges and corporate events. Uh, and there, I always throw in a, a little climate change piece of that, right? Talking about the idea that, that the ideas that Republic EN works on, right? Like the idea that there's um, uh, business-friendly, market-based, small government approaches to climate action. Uh, I kind of throw that into my comedy routines. Uh, so um, definitely looking for more, looking for more business, especially after the last year with the pandemic and everything. Uh, yeah. So do you do zoom appearances then? I've done some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. they're harder. They're hard, yeah. It's not, it's not quite the same as being at, at the comedy underground, yeah. but, uh, but we all do what we can these days. So listeners, if you need a stand up economist at your event, hopefully we're all going to be getting the vaccine soon. Things will start to open up. We'll have public events again. Everyone's going to want a party. Everyone's going to want a conference, right? We're all going to want these things to go to. And you might want to have a little humor at your event. So keep that in mind. I did see also on your website that you have a book called The Cartoon Introduction to Calculus. And it's sort of funny that I my eyes caught that today because... At about 10 o'clock last night, my high school junior, you know, my eyes are heavy. I'm ready to go to sleep. Comes into my room and goes, mom, it's time to pick my classes for senior year. And I'm like, really? We have to do this right now? (laughs) I'm ready for bed. He's a night owl. I am not. But this morning I got up and started looking through his requirements and what he's met. And he's in a STEM school, so it's very science oriented. Anyway, he's in pre-calc this year as a junior. So he has AP Calc next year. And I was like, does he need this book? Is that going to help him for his with uh, AP Calc. Absolutely. Awesome. Then I'm going to get it for him. <laughs> yeah. And there, and that's actually the fourth cartoon book that I've co-authored with Grady Klein, who's a co-author and illustrator. We have a cartoon, two, a cartoon book about micro and macroeconomics, and then a, a cartoon introduction to climate change, and then, uh, and then the calculus book. So we've covered all of the hilarious topics in the world. You know, but I really, again, appreciate the ability to take complex topics and make them digestible to people who might just need a different way of learning. And it reminds me a lot of, there is a, a kid's author and I, his name, I'm going to put his name in the show notes, listeners, I promise, Steve Shimkin or something like that. Anyway, he used to write history textbooks for elementary school and middle school and realized that they cut all the exciting parts out of history books. So he started writing these books and my kids loved them. And it was like a great way to get them to really bone up on history when they are, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And he has a whole line of books. And again, I will list my kids' favorites and links in the show notes, as well as the link to your calculus book, your stand-up routine, everything you're doing. We really appreciate it. We need you at the national level explaining the tax swap in your very approachable way. (laughs) I love Republic EN. I love what you all are working on and uh, thrilled to collaborate in any way that we can. Well, Price, I'm looking out my window at some icy snow and just thinking about that conversation with Yoram and Wondering if I need to go look at my utility bill to see if there are any 
um, sales taxes here in Maryland, you know, I never really look at my utilities at all the like extra fees and charges. I'm terrible. I should know that stuff. You know, when he said that was talking about that, that had me wanting to go and wait for our new utility bill to come because I want to look at some of that stuff too because that had me really intrigued as to what is on there, those line items. So he and I had a little follow-up email after our conversation where he wasn't able to list the 18 states that have a hefty existing tax on Uh their electricity. And he felt really bad that he didn't know that off the top of his head. I'm cutting him all the slack because this is a new project for him. And who can just rattle off 18 of anything, right? So for our listeners, if you're wondering, the following... (laughs) places have very hefty existing taxes on their electricity, mostly sales tax, according to your arms research. So that would be Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York State and city, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Dakota and Wisconsin. So I guess you're off the hook price. There's no (laughs) South South Carolina in there. I wish there was. <laughs> Why not? Well, me, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know what I mean. But I really wish it was. I wish that we were talking pollution tax, not so much sales tax. But that's that's another conversation. Um, but your, that's his his yeah, swap idea, right? right. Is you uh, right? So we're saying the same thing. <clears throat> You're anyway, any, he is a who, funny guy. I, that's he all. Is so funny. He. I wish we had could have like a big eco right party and have him come be the entertainment. Yes, and I encourage anybody and everybody listening right now that is interested go to StandUpEconomist.com. You can go check out um, uh, videos, uh, shows. You can check out Yoram's work right there on his website, StandUpEconomist.com. I'm telling you, once you watch it, he. He held back some humor, I mean, because I felt like, you know, because you guys were conversational interview, but when you let him stand up and and get into his element, obviously, which, like he said, it's hard to do it, like, when you're (laughs) trying to do it virtually. I I mean, my wife and I were watching a show the other last last night, and it's it's on, um, what is it, the Cooking Channel Food Network, and I don't know how you do a, a food contest judging food without being able to taste it, but... You know, it's just in that kind of medium, It, you know, you're trying to do it virtually. It just is not like being in the, in the comedy house or, you know, in a room yeah. with a guy in front of a guy who's, or, you know, female doing stand-up comedy. Yeah, he said that he's not doing a lot of virtual events just for that very reason. But, hey, the vaccine's getting out there. People are, are going to get vaccinated. And I just truly hope that once it's safe to be out and about, um, you don't have to go to his website. You can email him directly at it's y o r a m yoram at standupeconomist.com or as Price said, you could go right to his website, get a sample for what he's all about. But if you want to have him at one of your events, give him a holler. And who knows, maybe he'd be willing to do something virtual for the right crew of people. Yeah, what a hundred percent. So appreciate Yoram joining us this week. Who do we have? A little foreshadowing ahead of next week, Chelsea. So, you know, everything's a little bit still of a work in progress. I feel like last week was kind of a vacuum for me with Jack's COVID diagnosis. So for those who have been listening all along, you know, my son's a freshman in college. 
And I was so worried about him in the fall when he went to school. It was a little easier to say goodbye to him after winter break. And then four days later, his sweet mate, positive, asymptomatic, positive test. And then two days later, Jack started showing symptoms and tested positive himself. And then the roommate ended up getting symptoms. So just really stressful to be far away from him. He's fine now. He ended up really only having a fever and body aches. His sweet mate lost his taste, sense of smell, but that, you know, one of the common symptoms, Jack never experienced that. And so far, it doesn't seem like either of them is going to have that kind of backlash. Remember how it seems like some people Mm -hmm. get sick a second time, kind of 12 to 14 days after. So we're hoping that that doesn't happen. But anyway, we will either have, (laughs) I have a couple of spokespeople. We're going to do a little, um, a little power women day. Um, also still trying to connect to Bob Perciseppi. So some different ideas out there. And again, listeners, you'll just have to be surprised. I promise to be back and focused on my day job now that my kid seems like he's okay. Yeah, get better quick, Jack. We're thinking about you. Um, yep, yeah, so stay tuned. You do need to subscribe, uh, download, listen, subscribe via iTunes, uh, Spotify. You can go to our website, republican.org forward slash podcast. That is also where you can sign up to join um, and be a member of our team. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't take more than probably about 30 seconds to put in your information like some of our new members, uh, including Philip K. in Illinois, Tucker F. in Georgia, Laura N. in Texas, Bill K. in Washington State, and Susan S. in Colorado. We thank them. We thank uh, others who have joined that we may not have read off right there in the last week. And we always need you, republicin.org forward slash join power in numbers, especially, especially if you're a conservative. We need you, Chels. And you know what? Even if you're not, you probably know somebody who is. So you could hear from us and from our guests good ways to approach those people in your life who, um, you know, we we have just co-opted this word, but who are eco-hesitant. <laughs> Boy, Lindsay Linsky, author we had on early last year in season one um, when we first started, she is the gift that keeps on giving because eco-hesitant is mentioned at least once per episode, I think. (laughs) It sure is. I I guess it's a good thing that she's not making us pay her for every time we use that word. (laughs) All right, Chels. Well, great job this week. We'll do it again next week. Appreciate everybody downloading, listening, subscribing, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can go to our website. But until next week, we'll do it again then. We got a whole lot more coming at you this year. Chelsea, we'll see you next week. All right. See you, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader.